You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled God's Storyboard, part three of three. Enjoy. We want to finish up today a series we've been doing. This will be part three, and it's, been, it's called uh, God's Storyboard. And I really want you to, to um, open your hearts to the Holy Spirit and to make up your mind you're going to receive from him everything that he has for you this morning. And I found this in, in walking with the Lord um, over these past few decades, that oftentimes what he'll share with us and impart to us is very simple, but limitless in power. Very simple, but limitless in power. And what we're going to talk about today is perhaps the simplest statement we could ever make about God, and yet it is so uh, commonly unknown and even taught, uh, taught contrary to. So in God's storyboard, we've been talking about um, the master storyteller, God who had a vision inside for you before you were in your mother's womb. And we were talking about Disney, Walt Disney, who is a, 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 also a tremendous storyteller and who cultivated the technique of storyboarding when he would create his films. And sometimes the amount of time it would take for him to create what are considered classics or masterpiece was, was 10 years or more just to create one animated classic. And storyboarding is a simple process. It's a process of, of revealing what's inside of you where you have a vision inside of you and you begin to produce images with, with text, with words on a board that, so that the vision in, inside of you is communicated to the world around you. So you can take that vision inside of you and other people can, can see it, taste it, experience it, enjoy it, and run with it. Well, you need to know that before you were born, God had a vision for you. There was a storyboard for your life in heaven before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. Now, the devil will do everything he can to mess that storyboard up and keep that vision from coming to pass. But if you'll just put your faith in Christ... You will, you will be amazed at how God can take what looks like failure and turn it into a success. Even long, long, long after what you feel was your time. Your time hasn't passed you. Your prime hasn't passed you. When did Moses step into his calling? How old was he? 80 years old. People would laugh at that in the culture we're living in. They've been given this concept of aging that is goofy, that's ungodly, that when you're 55, you start getting, or even before that, when I was 45, you start getting letters about discounts, right? And they want you to join your, their organization. And then, you, and, and you know, you watch TV at a certain time of the day or or on the weekends and they've got commercials telling you what your, what your years are, are to be like when you hit certain ages. 
if you're buying into that, I, I, I pray that you stop. Moses at 80 years old began, stepped into his calling and fulfilled it. He led the people out of Egypt. He, he didn't enter into the promised land because of uh, some of the things that he did. But at 120 years old, he had full strength. His eyes were not dim. And he went to, he went to be with the Lord at 120 years old. He wasn't a member of AARP. <laughs> he wasn't interested in getting discounts. He's living strong. See, sometimes you join an organization, you're buying into a philosophy and you don't realize it. Do you want the philosophy of life they have? I want you to buy into God's philosophy for your life. We see Caleb at 85 years old who, who was to go into the promised land at 40, but because his nation rejected God, refused to go in, but Caleb didn't. He had to wait for that generation to die off before he could go in. And he did. And he talked to Moses at age 85. Moses started at 80, Caleb 85. He said, I'm as strong now as I was then. My strength has not depleted in any way for coming in, for going out, for going to war. Give me what's mine. That's the attitude Christ came to give you. He wants to give you an attitude of reigning in this life where you will not let the devil steal from you anymore. You won't let him steal your health. You won't let him steal your joy. You won't let him, let him steal God's provision for your life. You won't let him mess with your family. The world and much of the church doesn't understand this attitude because they bought into all the advertisements. But we're going to see, do our best to change that, to give you some other options today. So this story that God has for your life, I don't know where you're at in that story. You may, you may not even realize there is a story for you. But I want to tell you that this story has for you is a story of prosperity, and it's not fictional. It's nonfiction. It's true. His plans are to prosper you all the days of your life. His plans is for you to walk in strength and health all the days of your life. But there's, there's one thing you need to become solid in in order to experience God's vision for your life, and that is his goodness. The goodness of God. Did you know that you have no problems? <laughs> I love saying that. People are like, oh, yeah, well, here's a list, you know. <laughs> the only problem you might have is that you are not absolutely convinced of the goodness of God. You don't know how good he is. You don't know what he's done for you. You don't know who you are in Christ. See, when you go from vaguely having an idea to becoming absolutely convinced, things change. Yeah. 
The devil wants you to live in the area of vagueness, where things are kind of murky and not clear. God wants you to live in the area of certainty with vibrant colors and vivid reality. When you become absolutely convinced of God's love for you, of how good he truly is, of who he really is, of what he's done for you through his son, you'll find the solution to everything you thought was a problem. Everything that you thought was a problem will be solved through a conviction of God's goodness. Everything that you thought was a problem will be solved through an absolute certainty by you standing on who God is. So you'll hear oftentimes in churches will say, God is good, and that's true. People will say all the time. But how good is he really? I I don't like playing social games. Like, uh, I don't know, what do you call them? I say games. I I like games, but like doing little things that don't really mean anything. You know, like they're kind of just, oh, yeah, God is good. Well, is he really? Because I want to know. I want to know how good he is. If I'm going to give my life to him, I want to know what his nature is like. Let's start. Are you ready? Hallelujah. Let's go to John chapter 3. See, it's, it's living in and knowing, taking a bath in the goodness of God every day that will bring his storyboard to life, that will unlock his vision for your life in your life. John chapter 3, verse 16. So we're focusing on the goodness of God. How good is God? Well, verse 16 says this is how good God is. God's so good that, you ever hear those jokes? He's so good. or Yeah. What was that one? Uh, My my aunt's so fat that when she, what's this, something walks around the block, she walks around the block or something. I don't know. Let's try and remember some of those jokes. We're not touchy, are we? Right? We can joke and have fun, right? Love is not touchy. It's not fretful or resentful. Right? That's us. That's God's love in us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how good he is. That's everything he could give. Right? There was only one son of God that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What's the difference between a cult and true Christianity? Do you know? What we believe about the Son. There are many cults out there that use Jesus' name. Right? But what they believe about him is not true. They believe he was maybe a son of God. He was a good teacher, a good prophet. But if you look at, the, the, at what the scriptures say, the scriptures don't say he was a son of God. 
He was the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. And John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One called has changed that verse to the Word was a God. It's not in the Greek. But you just insert, insert that one little value and you've lost everything. Yeah. Little, one little vowel in that verse and you've lost everything. He wasn't a good teacher. He wasn't a prophet. He was God. So if you want to get to the heart if you're ever dealing with any kind of different cults or, or religious organizations, what do they believe about Jesus Christ? Do they believe he is not a God, but God himself? Okay, they can have a lot of similar beliefs, but that's where, that's where life begins, where you realize who Jesus really is. He is God. He was the only begotten son of God, Right? So this is how good God is. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And if you've been coming to Highway Church for some time, you know that what eternal life is from John 17, 3. It's an intimate relationship with God that produces wholeness. The message says it this way. This is how much God loved you or loved the world, people. He gave his son his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Anyone. Anyone. Everyone was qualified because Jesus came. Jesus opened the door for everyone to have a whole and lasting life. Everyone. That's how good God is. When you see perfect love doesn't disqualify people. Perfect love doesn't, doesn't um, damn people. You know, God's never sent anyone to hell. Never. And he never will. If anyone has gone there, it was due to their own decision. You might be surprised to think some of the people you think went to hell didn't. Because in the moment before they breathed their last breath, the Holy Spirit loved on them, and they had a revelation of Christ. You don't know who's in hell. The church is quick to, to, to build a roster for hell. Well, so-and-so didn't make it. How do you know? Thank you, sweetie. You don't know that. You don't know who's there. You might be surprised to, to find out how few actually went. Because what the Holy Spirit did in the last moments of their life. We're building the roster of heaven, right? And we're believing God for the goodness. I had a grandfather who was loud, atheistic, hard, rough man that I lived with. You know, did some rough things. Threatened to crack his wife's skull open and all kinds. Just a rough man, you know. I don't know what happened in his final moments. I'm not going to think that he went to hell. I don't know. I know God loved him more than I'll ever realize. And I'm believing maybe the Holy Spirit got inside of that heart in the last moments of his life. And he saw Christ. See, God loves people. The church has given, given people this idea that God's just, you know, just waiting for them to fall over the edge and, and go to hell. That's ridiculous. He loves people. He's good. 
He provided his son so that you can have a whole and lasting life now. Romans 8.31 says this. What then shall we say to these things? To God giving his only son. Well, it means God's for us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God is not holding anything back from you or for you. Wow. God wants to freely give you all things. He wants you to have the desires of your heart. Well, religion gets real... uh, uptight as we move into these things. We're going we're gonna to preach Jesus here. John 15, verse 7. This is Jesus, God, talking. If you abide in me, verse 7 of John chapter 15, and my words abide in you, a change is going to take place in your heart. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Religion doesn't know how to handle this verse. Jesus said lots of things like this. It would, it, it would be one of the best investments of your time to get a hard copy Bible and read what he said, right? John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it should be done for you. What's the next verse say? Go ahead, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. You being blessed makes God happy, brings him glory. You prospering, you doing well and flourishing makes God smile. This is what brings him glory. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Look at verse 11, same chapter, John 15. These things I've spoken to you for some deep, Mysterious, eternal mystery. No, it's not what Jesus, who is God, said. He said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy may be full. How good is God? He wants your joy to be full. He wants unhindered joy in your life. Fullness of joy. It brings him glory. He goes on to say in verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? Go ahead and put that up there. There we go. Oh, did we do the right verse there, guys? Verse 24. John 15, 24. I don't think that's the right verse, guys. Can you go put 15, 24 up there? Is that it? Did I do the wrong verse? Where's the until now you have asked nothing in my name? Asking you receive that your joy might be full. Well, let me open my Bible. Let me, oh, 1624. Is that what I did? Sorry, guys. Yeah, it's six, it is 16. I don't even have to turn there to know it. Yeah, 1624. Sorry about that. Oh, six. Just, there you go. You're awesome. Thank you. Yeah, until now, this is the chapter right after 15, right? You know the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, right? That's handy for reference, but it's good just to read it. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? 
so your joy will be full. Isn't that simple? But it'll heal your body. It'll bring healing and wholeness to you. Hallelujah. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. I believe 2020 is the year of taste and see. Of you experiencing God. That's what taste and see means. He's saying, I want you to experience me. I want you to experience how good I am every day of your life. And what does blessed mean? Happy, prosperous, successful, to be envied. Yeah? Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Hallelujah. So if you're not blessed, I know that I'm not trying. If I'm not blessed, I'm not trusting in him, right? It's just that simple. Isn't that great? Instead of coming up with some elaborate theology, if I'm not experiencing his blessings, I'm just not trusting in him. Isn't that simple? Yay. Yay for simple. Right? So I just, so what do I need to do? Do I need to fall on my face and have long prayer meetings and cry and say, heaven come down? Heaven came down already. Right? The king, Jesus didn't say heaven come down. He said the kingdom of God is within you. What do I need to do? I just start trusting him. Boy, religion will, will get you into these elaborate gymnastic workouts to try and get blessed or to try and get your situation to change. Long, long hours of prayer and shouting and hollering. And, and I'm amazed at the, at the worship songs that I, that I hear and they're, they're, they're asking God to come down as if Jesus didn't come. He came down, didn't he? Isn't Jesus God? Did he come down? Or is this all, we got the wrong book, right? If he came down, why would I want him to come down again? Did he forget something? Did Jesus not accomplish the perfect will of the Father? Is his work not finished, right? So instead of saying, uh, come down, how about, how about live strong in me, right? Live your life through me, right? The religion puts you in this never-ending waiting mode for God to do something. Oh, God, please, 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 light another candle. Maybe it'll work. It doesn't work. Get out of that never-ending mode of nothingness and come into life now by simply trusting him. Just trust him. If you're not blessed, then start trusting him. Just start trusting him. How good is he? Look at Psalm verse 5, Psalm chapter, chapter 5, verse 4. It says, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. Are you, are you soaking this up? No evil dwells with God. There isn't, there isn't even a hint of evil about him. Never has been, never will be. God and the devil have never worked together and never will. Now, there was a time when Satan wasn't a fallen angel. He was Lucifer, but once, ever since he fell, he's been at odds, starchly against God. God doesn't call him up for help to try and teach you a lesson. 
but religion has taught that. God and Satan are not in a partnership. They never have been. They never will be. No evil dwells with him. I hope you're listening. Thank you. <laughs> James 1, 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from Walmart. I'm sorry. Is from above. Not Amazon, above. Right? <laughs> Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadows. I mean, put all these verses together. You can write these down and meditate on them. So every good thing is from who? So if it's good, it's from God. If it's bad, it's not. How simple is that, right? Religion hates this simplicity. Why? Because I can't build any elaborate theologies off of this. Right? I, can't, I can't manipulate people with fear with this simple thing. It empowers you to live your own life. It empowers you to be free from the manipulation of man and, and, and religious philosophies when you know the simplicity of what Christ has done for you. Oh, God, this is good. Hallelujah. Good things come from him. Bad things don't. Hallelujah. Now, so God is good, and we're going to further uh, emphasize that, but we were made in his image. We're made in the image of good. <laughs> so stop looking down on yourself. Stop devaluing yourself. Stop being so critical with yourself. Start seeing yourself as God sees you. So we were made in the image of God. Good made us, fashioned us, produced us, right? We're born of the goodness of God. Now, now we'll get into I know we, I know man fell, but stay with me for a moment here. Because God is good and we were made in the image of God, you are hardwired for goodness. And if you don't get it, you start to malfunction. You're made for good. You're made to experience good. You're made to experience God. Now, I heard a, a quote from uh, Dr. Andrew Newberg. Who, uh, from the University of Pennsylvania and it was a minister that, that, that my wife and I know from years, years back, back in the, the late 90s, uh, Patrick Norris, who was, was a, just a, we love to hear him teach, teach the word of God, just a tr tremendous minister. But he was interviewing, or I'm not sure exactly, uh, he's been doing different studies on neuroscience and the nerves and, and he was inter interviewing, uh, I'm not sure, actually I'm not sure if it was interviewing or if he, took it from Andrew's book. I'm not sure. But Dr. Andrew Newberg, who's a neuroscientist from the University of Pennsylvania, made this statement. And I don't, again, I don't know that this man, I don't know what this man's beliefs are, but he made a statement that, 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 that nails it. And he said, uh, to believe anything but God is good or nurturing, 
to meet us in our point of need is actually damaging to the brain. Dr. Andrew Newberg, neuroscientist from the University of Pennsylvania. To believe anything but God is good or nurturing to meet us in our point of need is actually damaging to the brain. And we wonder why so many are struggling because religion is teaching just that. The opposite of that. We're going to see this in just a moment. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. So to believe anything but God is good or nurturing to meet us in our point of need is actually damaging to the brain. So what if I belong to a, a, a religious tradition that has told me that that tragedy happened in your life because God was trying to teach you something? What effect does that have on my being? Damaging. Now, again, I want you, I want you to stay awake as I know what we're talking about is simple, but it is my personal view that this is one of the greatest strongholds in the earth today is this idea of God bringing tragedy or sickness into people's lives to teach them something. It has crippled and damaged so many and kept them from experiencing the holy, the, the healing that was already provided for them. So please stay with me. We're going to look at Jesus, who's not a good teacher. He's God. I know a lot of good teachers, but I only know one God, right? Jesus was not confused about the nature of his Father. So at Highway Church, we exhort people not to accept what they hear from ministers and churches, but to go to Jesus in the Scriptures and take his word for it. It should be that every church is teaching in line with what Jesus taught. That's really what we're called to do, right? Yes. But the devil has got into religious philosophies. And I drive by some churches and they got their little signs out, you know, their white signs with black lettering on. I think, my goodness, what are they teaching in there? Take that sign down, bro. <laughs> they just say some of the dumbest things. Just dumbest things I see. Not always, but I just drive by. And, oh, boy, I, I would not go there. Uh. Now, look what Jesus says about this nature of God, this, con this, this, this uh, concept of God. Start in verse 7 of Matthew 7. Remember simple? Ask, it will be given. Takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? All the wondering, all the striving to try and obtain something from him. Ask and it will be given to you. Who's talking here? Who's he? God, right? Ask and it will be given to you. So if I disagree with him, I'm wrong, right? Right? But, I, but, I, but I've been to seminary and I've got a doctorate in theology and I'm wrong. I haven't been, but I just say. You know, sometimes people think their, their life experience qualifies them to disagree with God. Wouldn't that be foolish? He has no beginning. Ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I can get this. I get this. I like this. Give me more Jesus. Verse 8. For everyone who asks receives. What? Oh, this can't be. This is just too simple. We need some, some roadblocks and some obstacles to overcome. A long flight of stairs or something for people to go up, right? For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Why? Because God is good. He's good. He's for you. He wants you to win. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to prosper more than you do. Or what man is there among you? Let's bring it home here. What man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Of course not. That, if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Our kids don't like fish, so let's say, if asked for a pizza, oh, I shouldn't say that, yeah. If he asks for a pizza, we'll give him a serpent, right? We'll just bring that home here. Actually, Jennifer just made some fish soup, which was the bomb. Really good. So they have to eat it whether they like it or not. <laughs> which man among you will force feed his kids fish? Well, we'll do that. <laughs> see, look at this, kids. Fish is a good thing. You guys see that? The fish is presented in a positive light here, guys. This is God talking, right? God likes fish. <laughs> But he doesn't like liver. I'm sure of that. <laughs> you find me a scripture on liver out. <laughs> now look at the Weymouth translation of verse 11. Verse 11. If you then, imperfect, because we're not God, right? It's only one perfect, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're good on that, right? Yeah. If you then, imperfect as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? A lot more. Because he's perfect, right? He has no beginning. He never gets tired. No evil dwells with him. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things? What kind of things? Where do good things come from? Where do bad things come from? Not him, right? Not God. Satan, sure. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So we were made in the image of good. Right? Made in his image. And we, had, we were given a beautiful storyboard, a vision with very clear, vivid lines and vibrant, radiant colors. Yeah. A destiny that was thrilling and, and would, would draw out your fullest potential and satisfy you like nothing else. That's how you were made and that's the destiny you were given. It is everything you could ever dream of and, and infinitely more. God has given you a destiny that's beyond what you've dreamed of beyond what you've imagined. But what happened? Man rejected God, right? It's important to understand that. So he gave mankind, he made him in his image, he made us good. 
He gave him a beautiful destiny. He gave him sovereignty over the earth, it says in Genesis. I use that word and the theologians go, Ooh. right? The sirens start going off. He just said sovereignty. Only God is sovereign. Can I make you mad a little bit? Okay. The, the, the definition of sovereignty has been wrongly taught. And this goes with the largest stronghold that I know of that keeps people from healing. Is this idea that God brings tragedy or uses sickness or, or, or will let the devil do things to you to, to humble you. Because he's quote unquote sovereign. That is completely uh, ero- full of error. God is sovereign, but let me define that for you. You know, you can use a word and use it wrongly. So you're using the word wrongly. Someone comes along and uses it correctly, and you get mad at them because you've been believing this word means something that it doesn't mean, right? So you can't even receive what the truth about the word because you've got this wrong idea in your head. We want to get those wrong ideas out. They'll block you from living the abundant life Christ came to give you. What does sovereign mean? It literally means above all. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. It does not mean he's controlling everything. That is not taught in the Bible. And we, we've done it. And I don't know how deep we're going to go today. We'll do studies on that. I can show you from the scriptures. But Jesus clearly demonstrated that to us. To say God is sovereign means that he's above all, that he's the only true and living God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's, he's, he's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's pure. Yes. But it does not mean that he's controlling everything. Okay? The Bible doesn't teach that. We, we can know just from studying the ministry of Jesus because he is the sovereign God, right? Jesus is the sovereign God. And he taught, they accused him of doing the miracles he did because of, of Beelzebub. Do you know that in the Gospels? Who's Beelzebub? Yeah, the old bub, right? Yeah. Satan. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, he said if a kingdom, if, if I'm driving out demons by the power of Satan, then Satan's kingdom's divided. And it can't stand. But he said, if I'm doing it by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Right? So Jesus, you can see what's from God and what's not by looking at the ministry of Jesus in your hard copy Bible, right? You got one of these, right? You, you can't experience the abundant life without this. I'm telling you, need a hard copy Bible. But if you'll look at the ministry of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, you can see what's from God and what's not. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, Acts 10, 38. Right? So Jesus had to do a lot of rebuking in his ministry. He rebuked the fever that had Peter's mother-in-law in bed. Why would he rebuke a fever? Because it's not from God. Anything that Jesus rebuked was not from his father. Jesus said it himself. If, if, I'm, a, if, he, if I'm rebuking my father, then his kingdom's divided. And you know that's not so. Right? So anything Jesus rebuked was not from God. He rebuked storms. Man, the songs that have been written about storms. The church is lifting up storms instead of rebuking them. 
that God has some divine mystery in this storm that I'm to learn. Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked storms. He knew where they came from. He rebuked demons. He rebuked sickness. He rebuked religious know-it-alls. Woohoo! Hello! Right? We know what's from God because of Jesus. So it says, if you'll read Genesis, some translations say he gave them authority or dominion or sovereignty, man, over the earth. What does that mean? They had a delegated authority. Front doesn't mean they were above God, but he gave them authority above or over the earth. Okay? If you don't, if you don't know that, you're going to be very confused in life. Now, man who had been given sovereignty over the earth rejected God and began listening to Satan, right? And, and in Romans 5, 17, we're not going to turn there for time's sake. In, uh, I think it's the Weymouth translation, says that Satan stole the sovereignty. Yeah. Who did he steal the sovereignty from? Not from God. No one can steal anything from God, right? Who did Satan steal the sovereignty from? Romans 5, 17. From man, from Adam and Eve, right? Satan stole the sovereignty. Sovereignty over what? Over the earth. Uh-oh. I can't think of anything worse than that. Everything changed when that happened in Genesis chapter 3. That's when all the garbage and storms and evil and murder and sickness came into the earth. It came through the curse of sin. And Satan became the God of this world. Why don't churches teach this? Some do, not near enough. I thought God is sovereign. He's still God. He's above all. Listen, God, you can tell how much he loves you because he gave you a free will. It's the one thing Satan can never steal from mankind. He can never take your will. And because of that, he can't defeat you. So when man separated himself from God, man went from good to bad. So we were made in the image of good, but we rejected good and we accepted bad and bad became our Lord. Satan became the God over mankind. No, it's not. But it's important to understand that because people will say, well, if God is good, then why did that happen? Because Satan's trying to destroy you, my friend. He hates you. He's the God of this world. We are in enemy territory. That's not to make you afraid because we have victory in Christ, but it is to make you wise as serpents, innocent as doves, right? We have to recognize where we live. And if you're in the military, if you ever travel into enemy territory, you're giving a briefing before you ever leave. That briefing hasn't happened in a lot of churches. The reason for tragedies is Satan trying to destroy people. 
not God. So God never wanted man to reject him, but God can't force anyone to do anything because he made us free. He's given us a free will. So I want you to know the bad things that have happened in your life were not a part of God's story for your life. I need to say it again, and I'm going to. The bad things that happened in your life were not a part of God's plan for your life. Whether it were tragedies, illnesses, loss of loved ones, God did not do that, and he didn't allow it. The religious know-it-alls will come and say, well, but he allows it. No, he doesn't. It's the same thing. They'll say, well, he didn't cause it, but he allows it. You're saying the same thing. He doesn't allow it. God didn't make robots. That's like me saying, okay, the chief of police is responsible for, for the robbery that just took place. He allowed it to happen. He wasn't even there. People have free will. We can do whatever we want to do. God doesn't allow that. He made us in his image. He made us free beings. He's not sitting there saying, okay, I'll allow that. No, I won't allow that. Okay, you can do that. You can. I can do whatever I want with my life. I can. I can stick my head in a blender if I want. For a new hairstyle. I don't know. We can. We can do whatever we want. God's not going to stop me. God does not, he's given you a free will and he will never violate it. Isn't that powerful? When you think, wait, wow, I've been, I've been made in his image. I've been given this free will and I can do whatever I want. Wow. So we need to teach people the reality of what's going on in the world. It's not God, some kind of murky, goofy, eternal, unknown purpose. It's Satan trying to kill people. But guess what? If you're hearing this message, you're here today, aren't you? He hasn't won. Satan hasn't won. His plan hasn't worked. And it's time to turn that thing around by putting your faith in the God who's good. This is not the end of the story. We're just parking there for a little bit because we want to understand this wrong concept of sovereignty. God made us in his image. In his sovereignty, he gave us sovereignty over our own lives. Right? In other words, I'm the one who really decides ultimately what's going to happen in my life. I can't blame anyone else. Right? Has anyone here made some bad decisions? Yeah. I got both hands up, a couple feet, right? Yeah. Right? God didn't want me to make those. I did. There were consequences, not because God was trying to teach me anything, because they were dumb decisions, right? So why do we got to get theological about it and try and blame it on God? Say, oh, that was stu-. Just say, hey, that was stupid. I'm not going to do that again, right? And let me start trusting in him now, yes. right? Let me just start trusting in him now and turn this thing around. See, trusting in his goodness is what will turn your life around. Yes. Trusting in his goodness is what will block the devil from doing what the devil wants to do in you. If you don't know how good God is, you, can't, you don't know what to rebuke. You don't know what to say yes to and what to say no to. If God is, is, is controlling everything and has a purpose in everything, man, then who am I to say it? Let me just have at it. Right? Whatever happens, happens. 
We don't see that taught anywhere in the scriptures. Jesus demonstrated to us a relationship with the God who is good and a wisdom to know what was from him and what was not. We must have that same wisdom to recognize what is from God and what is from not. We embrace what's from him. We reject and rebuke what's not. The simplest place to see that if you want one scripture, and we never base what we believe on one scripture, but there are those scriptures that just, boom, capsulize the whole Bible, like John 10, 10. Right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came they might have life and life abundantly. If you want to just summarize what's from God and what's from not, that's the best scripture I know of. There are many, many more. Hallelujah. All right. So, when this happened, when man separated himself from God, man became bad. Every man after Adam, every woman, every human being was born under the curse of sin and had the nature of sin in them, all right? Man's nature changed from good to bad, all right? And the lines and the, the lines of, of God's storyboard for man's life became very blurry to man. What was once clear became very blurry. The colors went from being vivid and bright to dull and murky. And, and who God was and his plan was, became mysterious. Not because God changed anything, but because man turned from him and started relying on his own wisdom. Okay? Hallelujah. But because the one thing that Satan could never steal from man was free will, man had hope. Because if God could come to earth and, and exhort man to look again to him and exercise his free will on behalf of God, man could be made new. And that's what we want you to do. No matter how bad your life has been, we want you to know God didn't do that to you. Satan's been trying to take you out and make your life miserable. He wants to end your life, but we want you to know Jesus came so that what Satan wants doesn't matter anymore. He rendered Satan powerless. He stripped him of his authority. And if you'll just begin to put your faith in the God who loves you, in Jesus Christ, and exercise your free will to know him, Satan won't be able to play with you anymore. Hallelujah. So when, when, when we talk about being born again, it's a very real thing. It's not a cultish term. It's not a new age term. It's something Jesus talked about with Nicodemus, being born from above in John chapter 3. Why do we need to be born a second time? Because we became bad because of sin, right? Our nature changed. So when we put our faith in Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit enters your heart. The Holy Spirit makes your spirit brand new. Your spirit becomes reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you become a new person. You're not bad anymore. If you're born of the Spirit of God, you're good. God's nature is now your nature. Is this blasphemy? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Again, this would get you run out of town on a rail in some churches saying these things. But it is the gospel. It is the gospel. 
2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone, I love how God talks. He, he opened the door for anyone who believes. Oh boy, this is so good. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm just jumping ahead there and I want to make sure we get this in. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But what if you really messed up? What if you, what if, I mean, what if you did some really, really evil, bad things? And then you put your faith in Christ. Does it, does it work still? Yeah. Listen, your greatest sin is weak compared to God's love for you. Your greatest mistakes don't even begin to compare to what he's provided for you, to the righteousness that he's given you through his son. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, the failures, the the. the confusion, the dull, vague mystery of God has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So my story, my, my vision of my story went from dull and blurry to clear and vivid and vibrant again. Now I'm, I'm seeing God's will for my life. I'm understanding his vision. Verse 17, I like this in the message. It says, now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Hallelujah. Anyone, nothing can disqualify you from putting your faith in Christ. Why? Because you have a free will and no one can take that from you. Anyone can be saved. Anyone can be changed. Anyone can be made new. Anyone can be delivered. Anyone can be healed. And we see that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons, blossoms, grows, flourishes, right? Look at it. Uh-huh. Verse 21, for he made for God, I'm going to put the, the pronouns in there, for God made Jesus, right? Put the names in there. God made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, he was perfect, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you put your faith in Christ, no matter how bad you were, no matter what you've done, no matter how many laws you've broken, no matter what your current condition is, no matter what people think of you, no matter how low you may feel, if you'll just put your faith in Christ, everything inside of you will change. I like how the Living Bible says it in verse 21. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. On the cross, right? Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. 
I like that. That's what happens when you're born again. God takes all that junk out from inside of you and he pours his goodness in you. Now that is the truth, but you can be born again and not feel or live any different because you don't know what's happened on the inside of you. So let's, let's conclude this. Let's get into the knowledge of what's happened on the inside of us. We want to become absolutely convinced of the goodness of God that is in us now. His righteousness is in you. If you put your faith in Christ, you have become his very own son and daughter. So Jesus was the only begotten son of God. Right? But guess what? After he rose from the dead, the New Testament says that he was the firstborn among many. He's got tons of siblings. Right? What a Thanksgiving table he sets. Woo! Right? You're his sibling now. You're born of God. You're born of God. You're born of God, just like Jesus. You and Jesus are brother and sister, brother and brother. He's your elder brother. You're God's very own. You're just as much God's son or daughter as Jesus is. Hallelujah. Just as much. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, <laughs> God. Hallelujah. So how do you... How do you begin experiencing this new life? Because it doesn't happen automatically. On God's, God's end, it's done, right? Done, done, gone, gone, right? But on our end, we do have some decisions to make, yeah. right? We've put our faith in Christ, and God is faithful to accomplish that which concerns us. And God's goodness, is our, our nature is now his. We're, we've been washed clean. We've been made new. We've been given his righteousness. We're his very own sons and daughters. But now what? Because we're still living in enemy territory, right? We're still living in a fallen world. Satan still hates you. So what do I have to do? I, need now, I now need to grow in the knowledge of who I am in him, yeah. right? Yeah. And that comes through studying the scriptures. There's no shortcut to this. You've got to read this book. But when you're reading it, you're not reading it to try and get to heaven. You're reading it to get to know who you are in him. You're looking for the Christ words in here. Right? You're looking for the scriptures that teach you who God really is, what he's done for you, and who you are in him. Okay? Wow. I'm really learning as we go here because I tell you, there's so much going on inside of me. I'm just learning how to, how to flow with this. Wow. Acts 20, verse 32. So this is why we started this church and why we do what we do. Acts 20 verse 32, this is the apostle Paul writing and he says, so now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those, all, among all, all those who are sanctified. Listen, it's the word of his grace 
that changes us. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. It's hearing words about what God has done for you, how much he loves you, how good he is, all that he's provided for you and demonstrated by giving his son. That's what you're going to hear from this ministry for, until Jesus comes again and after that, up in heaven. <laughs> That's what we preach, the word of his grace. Nothing else will change you like the word of his grace. That's why there's so much criticism about, uh, be careful of those grace messages. Grace is not understood. This gospel we preach, according to the scriptures, is called the gospel of grace. There is no other gospel. How is it that the church became so unfamiliar with the very words that build us up? So that when someone comes along and starts preaching it, they criticize the one who's preaching the gospel as if it's something foreign. Well, then what gospel are you preaching? You're not preaching the gospel of grace. What do you call your gospel? The gospel of man's theology is what it is. I don't need that. I tried that. It doesn't work. Let me save you some decades off your life. It doesn't work. We need the word of his grace, what he did for us because of how much he loves us. Those are the words that will empower you to walk in this new life that he's given you. That's why we're so... Uh, constant and, and, and continue to exhort to hear messages, to study the scriptures that teach you about what he's done for you through Christ. You don't need to listen to messages where, where people are telling you that God brought this sickness in your life to teach you something. That's not going to help you. It's not true. You need to listen that Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases. Now, here's the thing. Oh, boy, help me. Jesus. It's the goodness of God that you need to hear every day of your life. The goodness of God, how good he is, how much he loves you, what he's accomplished for you through his son. What happens? So what do we do? We begin filling our lives with these words. That is the number one reason I got a phone, a smartphone, so that I could hear the good words of the gospel more. That's really the only reason I have, I, I mean, I know I need to have one to function, but that was the reason I wanted to get it, so that I could hear that word everywhere I go. That's really the primary reason I like technology. It gives me access to the word everywhere I go, pretty much. Because I need to hear what he's done for me so that I can experience it more and more. Now, let's look at this and we'll close with this. Love this. Oh, boy. Okay, Matthew 15. Here we go. Matthew 15. <laughs> I feel like a kid learned to ride a bike up here. I really do. Because the Holy Spirit is just revealing things to me. And I'm like, but I... I, I, I <laughs> Pee Wee Herman, here we go. And his bicycle. In the basement of the Alamo. <laughs> Matthew 15. Now, here we go. I love this. And I love the Gospels. 
This is what happens when you become convinced of the goodness of God. I mean, the Bible calls it faith. Faith is being absolutely 100% convinced of the goodness of God. Anything less than that is not Bible faith. 100% convinced of the goodness of God. All right? God wants you to live each day in that place. So here we have a woman that comes, a woman of Canaan. She was not an Israelite. She was not under the Mosaic covenant. She wasn't under the law. She comes, uh, she comes out and she hears about Jesus and she cries to him in Matthew 15, verse 22. I'm going to scan through this. And she says, have mercy on me, O Lord. What is mercy? The bad things we don't deserve, we don't get, right? What's grace? The good things we don't reserve, we deserve, we get, right? Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. She recognized where it came from. When you're convinced of the goodness of God, you recognize the source of this stuff. When you're not, you, 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 you vacillate on it. But he answered her not a word. This is Jesus in the flesh now. He's got a destination. And his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As the man, the son of man, he had a specific job to fulfill. It was to the lost sheep of Israel. Okay, he was on a time schedule here. And they didn't get that, but that's all right. He told them anyway. Verse 25, then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not proper. That's what M-E-E-T means in the King James here. It's not proper to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now, she's had several opportunities here to be discouraged, right? She doesn't have a covenant with God. Uh, he's not even acknowledging her. His leaders are telling her to go away. Right? Right? She says, Lord, help me. And he tells her, it's not proper for me to take the children's bread. What's the children's bread? Healing. It's a basic provision for every believer. Health the rest of your life. It's not, it's not proper for me to take children's bread and cast it to dogs, those outside of the covenant. And she said, truth, Lord. She's not offended. Love this woman. We need to learn from this woman. Right? There's an opportunity maybe to take offense, would you say? But she agrees with the Lord. Why? She's convinced he's good. When you're convinced of the goodness of God, you'll be very difficult to offend. When you're convinced of his goodness, when you're sure of how much he loves you, people won't be able to push your buttons anymore. She says, truth, Lord, I know how good you are. Yet those outside of the covenant eat the crumbs which fall from those who have a covenant with you. Those who, <laughs> the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, you're absolutely convinced of my goodness. That's what he's saying. Great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you desire, one translation says. 
as you wish, as you will. Remember our free will? You're exercising your free will, choosing to believe that I am good, be it done for you. This is what faith is, guys. These are the benefits of becoming absolutely convinced of the goodness of God. You receive from him the things you need, the healing you need, the deliverance you need, the provision you need. When you realize how good he is and how much he loves you. You know, there are only two people in the gospels that that were praised by Jesus in this way. This woman was one and the other one was a centurion. And what they both had in common was this. Neither one of them were under the law. Neither one of them were in the Mosaic Covenant. They weren't caught up in all the uh, the legalistic ideas of God. They were free to believe that He is good. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this time together. Wow, you're good. Wow, you're good. We worship you. Holy Spirit, help us to become absolutely convinced of your goodness. Lead and instruct and guide us in your word as we're reading your word to lead us to the Jesus scriptures, to the Christ words that show us who you are, what you've done for us, and who we are in you that we would walk through life with this absolute conviction of you being for us all the time. That we would know what to embrace and what to rebuke. Hallelujah. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.